Hey there. Welcome back to the Brave New Workforce. I'm Trip O'Dell, and I am joined as ever by my co-hosts, Larry Cornett and Anna Kadena. How are you guys doing today? Hi. How's it going? Hey, Trip. Well, that's a little rainy so uh, here in Pennsylvania, but we get to close on our new house tomorrow. So I get to get Congrats. out of this two-bedroom apartment with my <laughs> three children and crazy dog. But I am Fantastic. even more excited today to be joined by my good friend, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the Brave New Workforce. Thank you so much, Trip. I'm very excited to be here. I am a fan of the podcast. And so it's a little surreal actually chatting with the three of you. It's exciting. <laughs> You're the other one. My, my <laughs> I, stepmother, I am. There are podcast too. There's hey, two. <laughs> we're in good company then. Good company. Sweet. Yes. Excited to be here. We've doubled our fan base. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this week, uh, we've been talking to Sarah for a little while about coming on because Sarah, uh, you know, Sarah and I work together at Amazon and. Uh, when we were in Seattle, we would hang out occasionally, grab coffee, and kind of talk about the challenges of management and that sort of thing. Uh, but about a year ago, uh, you moved into a management role with a company called Abstract that is uh, does essentially it's like GitHub for designers is the and it's been a while since I've used Abstract, but it allows you to keep your files in sync as a team and uh, that's a 100% remote company. So we wanted to talk to you today about what it's like to move from a 100% on-site manager in a traditional team in a big organization to uh, 100% remote design, or well, actually 100% distributed team. Exactly. Uh, Good yes, use of the word uh, there, yeah. 100% distributed team that is uh, building products for people that aren't necessarily in the same place at the same time. So exactly. that would be, tell us a little bit about the new job and how's it going and what have you learned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, the, I think the most surprising thing to me was how, how much less challenging it wound up ultimately being. I mean, I do think that, and I think I've heard that uh, the three of you discussed this topic before, but the, you know, the, the experience of managing and working remote this since this spring with the pandemic raging is so much different than tr like in, in under normal times, whatever that means, the experience of managing and leading a remote team and working within a fully distributed company. Um, so coming in here, I really was expecting uh, there to be this just massive overhead and figuring out how to work together with folks. But in Looking back, I'm realizing, you know, I had a, enough um, experiences to draw from that kind of helped lead into this, uh, that, it, you know, the overhead of getting started with this was was not anywhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, also, like you mentioned, you know, the tool that we um, that we work on is facilitates remote work, facilitates distributed teams in just a massive way. And so that was a little bit of a head start as well. Um, you know, I think the the biggest difference, and you know, this is not just specific to design teams, but I think the biggest difference, the biggest challenge you have to overcome is team culture and trust and just that like connective tissue. And so that for me right. was, um, you know, it wasn't about how to get the work done. It wasn't about how to coach the team. It was really about how to 
um, how to connect the team together and how to connect the team with the rest of the organization in a way um, that felt natural and that you wouldn't necessarily get or that you would be getting um, if you were all located in the same space together. So how have you historically managed that to kind of keep the, the culture cohesive in a fully distributed team? Yeah, what you have to do is be really, really intentional. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, the biggest thing, I think, is using your one-on-ones to build that trust and that connection. So that works on an individual level, right? So some of us might be used to using one-on-ones to kind of get status on projects, uh, you know, find out if there are blockers, you know, what what's your priority for work this week? Um, for me, the one-on-one is really a time to get to know my team. And it's it's like, it's a sacred space. There are so many great tools to use for tracking time, tracking pi- priorities, discussing the work itself, um, you know, take your pick of whatever your project management plus communication software is, use those. But then that one-on-one space is where we talk about like, what are your challenges? How are you feeling about the work? How are you feeling about the team? Um, you know, where do you want to be in six months? What do you What do you want to do in five years? And how can the next six months get you there? Um, you know, so that's that's one of the the key tools for connecting with folks on an individual level. For the team itself, like connecting the team together and building that team culture, um, you do have to get kind of creative about it. We, we there are a few things that we some rituals are are a big thing. We there are a few rituals that we do that help build that connection and culture. Um, One of them is every Monday morning, uh, we start out in Slack with uh, your rose and your thorn uh, hat tip for our our previous design director for this one. She she created this tradition and it's uh, it is um, it's been wonderful for the team. So we know what the highlight from each person's weekend was and what the kind of like the low light or the, the biggest pain point. And that way we know how each member of the team is coming into the week, what they might be dealing with. This was really, really important, especially as we've fluctuated in and out of lockdown over the over the country. I also have um, one designer in BC and one designer in Belgium. And so everybody's experiencing lockdown and, and COVID at different times. Um, it's been incredibly valuable during a very spicy election season. Um, you know, it is it's it's a window for each member of the team into the kind of the emotional state and well-being of, of their team members. Um, another like one that. is making space at the beginning of every meeting for small talk, which seems so silly, right? Like when you're doing it, um, you're like, why am I wasting five minutes of this precious Zoom meeting on chit chat? Um, but it's it, is, it serves a very important function. Um, small talk, I think, is undervalued as a tool for building trust yep. among human beings. And um, so making space and being really intentional uh, about that, that small talk, I think, is, is really, really important as well. I love that. Actually, uh, just to comment on it, I went to uh, a consultation with a doctor, and this is the first time I ever been to this office before. And I will tell you, we spent about 15 minutes doing small talk, and I was just like, oh, this is really nice, but it really did develop that trust 
for the doctor. And I've never had that experience before, uh, at least not in recent times, uh, where I would just sit for 15 minutes just talking about whatever and getting to know somebody. Um, but it really does build a lot more trust than, than one might think, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's even important, like in the in-person, like I've worked in, in at Amazon, which I've called Fight Club many times, <laughs> right? Yes. Where you're having it's some friction. It's where overachievers with... go to feel bad about themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And um, we're having some friction with another team. And rather than sort of bunker down and write your documents and, you know, sort of throw documents at each other, yeah. uh, I would encourage my team to uh, go have lunch with the other team and go yeah. eat lunch in their space or whatever and spend time because it's really, really difficult to remain angry with somebody that you're breaking bread with. Yes. Absolutely. You nailed yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you know, I, I think the other thing too is like, how has your use of meetings changed, uh, mm -hmm. changed? Like we've, we're in hybrid skill school right now here in Pennsylvania, which is a little anxious, but also it's good. Like it's, our kids are like finally, but in hybrid school or in online, the online part of the day yesterday, they had my son stand for the Pledge of Allegiance while he's on camera. Uh, and it's like, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they don't do that in Seattle, but it's weird when they got the announcements and everything Welcome is like scheduled out as if it's real school <laughs> yeah. in person. Yeah. yeah. And they haven't adapted anything. No. It's frustrating to mm -hmm. watch, but you see that also in office cultures. That's very Where true. they just try yeah. to run things the old way. What have you adopted to yeah. your, to your meeting? Yeah. So some of the things um, that we have, and so we, we've been, we've tried to be really, really clear um, and almost prescriptive about when meetings should occur um, and when we should be using the asynchronous tools. And this to me is like one of the biggest, what, um, biggest mental shifts for folks coming from a non-remote culture. I think we are used to, you know, when you're in a co-located space, you're used to getting into a room together uh, Trip, you'll remember spending the first 10 or 15 minutes of a meeting reading through a document and then dissecting, uh, you know, dissecting the project there. Um, often meetings are occupied by like reviewing documents or details or, you know, filling out a spreadsheet. Um, and the biggest way that we've adapted, I think, or at least the, the biggest change that I'm seeing between in meeting culture from my current role and, and comparing the past is that um, meetings are used when there needs to be a collective decision reached. Uh, they're used when conversation needs to happen, uh, but they're not used to get status updates, for instance. Like that is a horrible use of meetings. Like use the tools. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> use All the, the tools. The stand-up meetings in the morning, it's like, I know. read my email, man. It's I like, know. Why are we? Why am I verbalizing what I sent you in an email? It's like I don't. I don't get. Well, this. and that stand up. A stand up is such a great use of Slack. Honestly, I mean, I think that to me is one of the absolute perfect things that you can use Slack for is one way communication of information. Right. So I have to tell my team something, or I need to get a readout of. You know, we do our we do a our our whole product org. So I reported the VP of product, and our whole product org does a morning stand up of just like the top three top top three top of mind. Uh, things that you you got on your plate that day, um, 
And that to me is like the ideal use of of Slack. And that would be the most ridiculous thing to do in a, you know, a face-to-face Zoom call. And people talk about Zoom fatigue. And I just wonder how much of that is from uh, sitting in Zoom meetings where you're not contributing anything. There's not a discussion happening. Exactly. And yes. you're just watching other people talk. It's a talking head. Yeah. yeah it's a talking head. Not that there's uh, not still like, you know, we still do our design critiques live. We we have not shifted to asynchronous design critiques. And we're hearing that more and more as we're interviewing folks um, about how, you know, uh, remote has shifted their des- team's design culture. So we this is very meta because we've been talking to a lot of teams about how design happens remote, how product works with design remote. And we're hearing over and over again, we still do design reviews live. We still do them synchronously over Zoom. Um, and I think that's I think that's very valid. I think for us, it's really important because there is conversation that takes place during those. Um, but what we don't do is we don't go over the, uh, the brief during that design critique, like the brief gets put in Slack ahead of time. Um, and this happens in product reviews as well. So the documentation goes in Slack, you have time to read it ahead of time, supposedly, although if you're like me, and you have back to back meetings from 830 to 530, then, you know, you're kind of scrambling. Uh, but, uh, you know, use, use the tools, use what, you know, Jira, Asana, whatever flavor of product management tool, uh, use your documentation tools, whether that's Google Docs or Notion. Um, use the communication tools, but like that FaceTime is so precious. So use it, make the best use out of that FaceTime. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that I'm trying to inject in my new role. Uh, I'm trying to inject into the culture because people, many people in the company are quite a bit younger than I am. So they think that there is a right way to do it. And there is a process for how you have a meeting and we go through our status and nobody interrupts and they're going through a deck and that just makes my skin crawl like, you know, bullet points on a deck. And here's the thing that we're talking about right now. Death by PowerPoint. Yes. And I'm trying to push this. (laughs) I never thought I would do this, but uh, that training around writing documents and writing things down at Amazon was really helpful because you get a lot of the detail that people normally ask just to get out of the way. You get a lot of that context and you get, and with something like Google docs, you can actually highlight and have commentary in the margins and get that kind of stuff. Like the, the ticky tack interruptive or disruptive comments on this or that. Um, You can kind of take them off to the side. But the other thing I'm trying to get us to do more of, and I do this with my coaching clients is I record our conversations so that we can have just a, a one-on-one give and take. And then I post it to Descript, which we should start getting sponsorship because I talk about Descript <laughs> so much. Yes. But, but you, can, you can actually highlight the bits that are important and orient them. So if we have an hour-long conversation, I want to orient you on this, this, and this. You can and anchor this. Searchable, yeah. I can just highlight that stuff and they can go back and review what, what did Trip say or what was I asking about? And they have that context. And I think that's incredibly valuable for being able to have a meaningful conversation where you're not worried about the tech. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because one thing too is like, it is still an iterative process, right? Like meetings are still an iterative process and, and um, you know, remote work. I, I, it's like we, we're trying to apply agile thinking to our work. And so just an hour and a half ago, I was talking to one of our product managers uh, about a usability study that we have coming up next week. And I was talking about, you know, what should we have our research assistant do? 
And I realized we've been having our research assistants sit in on the Zoom meetings and take notes, but Zoom's transcription is so good. And so with this aha moment of like, wait, it makes so much more sense to have Lynn sit it out and wait until the transcript is ready and then clean up the transcript. And that's like an hour less of her time. Um, So, you know, nobody's doing it perfectly yet. And I think that the most important thing is um, just checking in on a regular basis and saying like, are our meetings working? Are our processes working? And, and just iterating on them the same way you would with a product. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I think we sometimes get like triple science stuck in a rut of like, this is how you do things. <laughs> and the world's changing this pandemic and all the everybody working from home for the first time from the CEO down has changed everything. And so it's it's time to re-examine all these processes and say, is it still working for us? Is this process helping us or is it holding us back? Or we like you had this aha moment, it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> it's like there's tech there's technology that does exactly. this. Exactly. And, and that I, had, I had a discussion with a client recently around kind of the I think it's the interplay, like what your product does, of there's gonna be living dynamic conversations that are necessary, but you still need to document these things so that there's a source of truth because he was having some trouble with his manager who was making decisions verbally in a meeting and then forgetting that he did and then reversing decisions. The guy's like, I'm getting churned so badly. And I said, it's time to document and say, here's what I heard. Do you agree? And keep kind of a living document going of these decisions so the manager can maybe have some insight and go, oh, I'm churning the team. (laughs) Otherwise, it's like, I didn't say that. It's like, yes, you did. Yeah. If there's one silver lining of everything, it's that I do think that we are um, we are taking a you know we're taking a fresh look at these processes, and we're we're learning things like how important documentation is in general, right? Like I remember you know the last co-located team that I worked on, we would constantly struggle with things like that. Like who made this decision? Why did they make that decision? Um, and moving to remote you're absolutely forced to start documenting these things because often there's like, there's people not in the room. There are, you know, so much asynchronous work is happening. Um, And so it's, I've actually, I've done more writing and documentation in this last year than I probably have (laughs) (laughs) in my entire career, maybe. Um, And so, uh, you know, I I would just say our documentation game, it's not perfect, but it is, um, it's pretty dang good. And so I think that, the positive, you know, the silver lining, one of, I think, personally, many silver linings of remote work is um, you're learning new tools like documentation. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, this was, I mean, the the thing is, is as much writing as happens at Amazon, it's terrible at documenting anything. (laughs) I mean, uh, the, the, uh, they have this website, it's called Inside, and people would dread they'd be like oh it's on inside and it was like the worst indexed oh, yeah. version of any sort i would of rather walk across campus be- to meet with somebody for 15 minutes to learn the thing than actually go on inside to try yeah to find absolutely yeah, but for sure i think there's and the funny thing about tech in particular is we like to invent new jobs constantly and i, I blame like the first webmaster like he's like, I've got a cool title. And that's like evolved into like, well, I'm a UX or UI or product or, you know, like yes, these sorts of things. And now you have producer. these yeah. roles that are coming up as like DevOps, design ops, people ops, business ops. And I think it's partially in response to 
often this lack of process, this invisible work that's always gotten done by managers taking extra time, but now managers need to focus on managing. They need to be focused on leading and not documenting. And it's almost like the value, like in the tools, there's so many gaps in the tools that nobody pays attention to. Yeah, no, this this idea of um, managers learning new skills too, I think is really important. Like managers learning uh, that, uh, you know, I, you're leaning more into coaching instead of management by walking around and looking over people's shoulders and, um, you know, leaning on someone's desk and asking them what they're, what they're working on. Instead, if you can offload that and say, okay, post your status update um, or post a link to your work, uh, you can use your time for a lot better things than walking around and looking over somebody's shoulder. Well, it's funny, you know, as you were describing like how, how you were, uh, how you've shifted to being very personally involved with your team as opposed to status updates. Yeah. I'm like, no, you probably just got the job you've always wanted <laughs> and never were allowed to do. Cause that's how we connected. Our kids went to, to, yeah. to elementary school together yeah. when I was living in Seattle and you and I would sort of, we'd, we'd run into each other and be like, yeah. can you believe like how they want yeah. you to manage it at X, y, you know, X, Y, and Z place? And, yeah. and it was always hard. Yeah. And I think it's almost like a return to getting away from functional management or project management yes. to actually getting the I'd best out of your people. And as like, as you were describing the differences, I was just like, well, you're just a good manager. That's the way <laughs> a manager's supposed to be. <laughs> Yeah, Manager I mean, as coach, I like it. That's it. That's I mean, you know, if I had to sum up my philosophy in in one phrase, it's it's uh, coach instead of director. Um, and again, this goes back to making the most out of the face to face time that you have with your team. But you're going to get so much more if you build that trust. I mean, first of all, we look at all the studies that have come out. Uh, I think it was uh, it was Google's Aristotle project that talked about the impact of trust on a team. Um, you know, uh, Simon Sinek and all of his research and, and, uh, and thinking, but basically the stronger, the amount of trust that you can build with a team, um, the, the more risks the team is willing to take and the more risks that a team is willing to take, the, the more creativity, the more ideas you're going to get out of them. Um, you're not going to get that in a remote environment unless you as a manager really, really lean into, uh, that trust building and that human element. Um, you've got you're you're fighting against millions, billions of years of primate evolution by not being in the same room together. Um, so you know you have to be really, really intentional. Like we are just we're hardwired to look for facial expressions, to look for body language, to use all of our senses when it comes to interacting with one another. And so when you are limited to this little box on the screen, you have to be really clever, really thoughtful about how you go about. Um, bolstering those relationships and then also how you facilitate the team's relationships with one another. Have you noticed any differences between your employees? Like who's thriving in this situation? Who's struggling a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in a slightly different position in that we, this company, like, like Trip mentioned has been, uh, distributed. They, they were 80% distributed before the pandemic. And then they were, um, you know, we've gotten 100% distributed and we've closed our San Francisco office for all intents and purposes ever since, I think, about April. Um, what I will say is that the employees who have been remote, so, you know, by designer in Belgium, the one who's in Denver, the one who's in BC, um, as opposed to folks who were 
accustomed to being in a San Francisco office with one another. I mean, they, they, everything is just, they've taken all of it in stride. The, the, the folks who are already remote um, were the ones who, you know, struggled the least when everything shifted and everybody had to, you know, had to be working from home for sure. Yeah. Um, you know what I've noticed is it's leveled the playing field. It has. Yes. I've had distributed teams my whole career. And I've noticed just these subtle things where people in the room will have this kind of side conversation and people on the phone are like, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? Oh, they'll forget to engage them. They'll forget to dial them in. And it's exactly. like, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Right? And there was the old days, the old days where, you know, you've got six people in the room. I mean, I, I was used to working with like, for instance, engineering teams sitting in, in London or uh, sitting in, you know, um, in India and, you do the thing where you get six people in a room and then you have one person on the video screen <laughs> dialing in remotely and they don't get to talk. You know, when they do talk, it's awkward and you can't hear them half the time. Exactly. And there's all these sidebar yeah. conversations happening. So yes, the one thing that I think Abstract absolutely nailed was that even for folks who are in the San Francisco office, they would each have their laptop uh, on their own in the meeting and oh, that's good. headphones good. and a mic uh, so that everybody was, you know, everybody was a little box in a Zoom meeting, but uh, it also meant that you were all equal in that room. I love that. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't love that enough. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I, you know, I think the other thing that would benefit a lot of folks that is remembering um, how much emotion does not come through on video and how much we're used to reading body language when we're in the room with somebody. Um, and I think uh, managers in particular could really benefit from trying to be a little bit more expressive on Zoom. So first of all, have your video on, for goodness sakes. Like, I mean, maybe if it's a big presentation and you're eating lunch and nobody wants to watch you shovel salad in your mouth, that's one thing, but uh, but have your video on. And uh, it's been interesting with the kids, uh, like Trip mentioned, uh, remote schooling. Uh, even the teachers have reached out and said, if at all possible, please encourage it your kids helps. to have, it really does. Yeah. It makes I just a did a difference. presentation to a team. It was like 50, 60 people. I can't remember how many. And everybody turned their video off. <gasps> and so unnerving. I was talking for like two hours and I kept wondering if people were there. And occasionally I had to stop. It's like, is everybody still there? Like, And they'd unmute. Yeah. And they'd mute again. And so I'm talking to my own face That's on terrible. screen for two hours That's it's miserable. like this is horrible i don't yeah. i don't know if they like what they're hearing i don't know if they're listening i don't know if they're paying attention it's like and oh, that's it was we're draining hardwired to look for that cue right like we are it is programmed into our brains that uh we should be looking for feedback from the folks that we're communicating with and so whether that's giving a presentation or just you know trying to have a uh decision-making conversation. I just don't think you can do it unless you can see each other's faces. And again, trying to remember, um, folks are looking at your face, folks are seeing your facial expressions. And so if you're not giving them a loud enough signal, you need to boost that signal. Um, no. Well, Anna, Anna and Larry will attest to the fact that like, there's a, there's a double thing, right? The, the going on. One is that there's always a little bit of lag, right? There's just a like yeah. a couple of milliseconds yep. of lag. Just a tiny bit. And it's, yeah. <laughs> really easy to interrupt somebody right and yeah. i don't have a problem talking in meetings uh or on podcasts or we've, we've kind of noticed that yeah yeah anywhere <laughs> and i keep jumping in and i don't mean to 
you know, it's like I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cover my, but, and we had this hand signal signal thing going yeah. for a while where somebody wanted to jump in or they had a point. Yeah. And the, I feel like they invented that just for me because it was just like <laughs> trip your monologuing again. You know, settle down. Yeah. We do and, this. Yeah, sure, and we do Anna's this. We like to say about that. Oh, yeah. that's hilarious. You give him phase, a phase oh. interruption warning. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, for our design critiques um, and our design reviews, uh, I've started doing the same thing, which is just the timeout signal. Um, if somebody is, especially when you're screen sharing and you can't, you're, you know, I don't, I don't know if y'all use Zoom on a regular basis, but when you're screen sharing, the faces are reduced like this little film strip above the screen. And um, and again, like we're so hardwired to get those uh, human cues as to whether our audience is paying attention or not, or whether it's someone's trying to get your attention, you know, and like leaning in and waving at you. Um, and so I've just started, uh, you know, doing like a timeout thing when someone's uh, going on and kind of needs to be reined back again and again. But it's it's a whole different skill set. Like it's a completely different, you know. Uh, for me, I feel like it's it's been a wonderful boost because I'm a little bit, uh, not a little bit, I'm quite a bit of an introvert in, in real life. And if you get me in a room full of folks, I, I, I frequently, and I'm, you know, on the small side. And so I will frequently get bowled over by folks in person. Um, whereas, you know, again, to the level p- playing field thing here, uh, I feel a little safe here cause I'm in my, my office with my plants around me. And, um, and, uh, you get more, a little bit more of a confidence boost there. It's a little easier for me to speak up in a room full of folks. So I've noticed that too. And, and I think, you know, when I run in, in trips in my accelerator, I've been in meetings where there are certain people that just seem to never get a chance to talk Yeah, yeah. and there's somebody else that's talking the whole time. And I think if, <laughs> <laughs> and I think if no. people are running their meetings, well, they're checking in with everybody. So everybody gets yeah. airtime. Which gives people a chance who who never often feel comfortable breaking in or interrupting somebody a chance to be heard. Yeah. So I think it's been great for people who just did not get noticed in the office. Absolutely. That now through writing and other things, it's like they can express themselves yeah. and be heard. It's I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah that there are a few things built into some of the tools too that that um, I think help with that the ability to have the the chat window. So you've got kind of a chat conversation going on. Um, and it can be a distraction sometimes, but it can also be an opportunity for folks who are a little bit nervous about breaking in to carry on a discussion. Um, and then I'm a big fan of the raise hand function in Zoom. So we've started doing that for our huge design reviews. Where is that? Because I, I look at the emoji on there oh, I and, I, and I'm like, no. oh, it's the party one and the thumbs up. I was like, no. just a hand raise. That's all I okay, want is just something like, I don't want to interrupt. It's in the participants list. And so you have to click on participants and then there's a little raise. I mean, okay, if I could go work for Zoom and like redesign, Mm. no offense, y'all, but there's a few things. It's a power user feature. It's a wonderful feature for if you're running a large meeting and you don't want folks talking over one another. Thing is, uh, that's that's for two different Zoom meetings. There's the casual chat one-on-one Zoom meetings that does not have the raise hand. And then there's the participant Zoom meeting that does have the raised hand. So, uh, Tripp, if you're in a normal peasant meeting, you're not going to have that feature. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think Sorry, I, I think it may be in there. I, just, I don't know. The next time you're in a Zoom meeting, go click on that participant list. And it's just the list of everybody's names. And it's like hidden down at the bottom. There's a little. It is hidden. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, it is, it's interesting how you ha- we've had to hack some of these tools in order to do some of the things. But but what it's ultimately giving us is a, is a lot more level playing field for, I mean, it's boosting neurodiversity, right? So folks who communicate in different ways, folks who take in information in different ways, um, you know, posting that link to the document or to the mock-ups ahead of time in Slack gives some folks a chance to, um, you know, folks who don't always think on their feet, folks who like to process before speaking, that gives them an opportunity to take in the information and be more an, a more informed participant in the conversation. Um, and then, you know, the all of these in in meeting tools that you can use, I think really, um, you know. I actually want to circle back on um, something we were talking about earlier about documentation. Um, What is the process of organizing that documentation so that perhaps everybody can see it in a uniformed way or even um, making note of like what you were saying earlier that people who usually are quiet in the office can finally kind of stand up and have their own voice. Is there a way that you guys are making note of that or, or tracking that or ter- ter- translating the documentation, not just in documentation, but into your uh, action plan or to-do list? How does that work? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll just say um, we don't have a great process across the board, but I think the thing that is works, I mean, we don't have a consistent tool across the board right now. I think the thing that has worked the best for us is uh, whatever medium you create that documentation in, putting it in Slack. We do have a lot of dedicated Slack channels for given projects or for given functional teams. And so just you create a document, you drop it in the Slack channel. Um, you know, for the design reviews I mentioned, we uh, have a dedicated channel that's just for design reviews. And so that designer will put that set of mockups, you know, the abstract link, drop it into the, the Slack channel beforehand. Um, and then everybody has a chance to read the, or to review those mockups beforehand. Um, but ironically, um, or maybe not ironically, serendipitously, we are actually working on um, a much more robust documentation system right now for design decision making um, that incorporates everything from the review process to creating action items, um, and then f- ultimately feels, feeds back into the tools. This is not a it's not a plug for abstract, but it's just that we have noticed that there's a gap. There's a real gap where it comes to design. I've seen a lot of folks duct taping together solutions. And so uh, knowing that the future really is remote, uh, we're kind of leaning heavy into this one. No, I think you guys have a great tool. I mean, I wish this had been around when I was still doing hands-on design because it was <laughs> painful. Yeah. So painful. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we really want a way also to, to make it, um, to make that documentation and that conversation uh, useful for everyone at the company and not just the designers, right? So uh, product managers and engineers and UX writers all need to weigh in on and have discussions around the work. And so uh, really trying to make that happen. Um, And, you know, for both remote and whenever, and if ever we go back to co-location, you know, hopefully still retain some of those good good processes that we've learned in the meantime. Well, that's great. Um, I mean, it, it's always great to catch up with you because you always have such awesome things to say about leadership and, and mentorship and management. But if people wanted to find out more about you or you want to sort of 
plug abstract whatever you want to do i mean like i don't know if you're, <laughs> or if you're looking for talent like whatever that, yeah. Yeah. yeah i am I mean, I, i'm sure my stepmother would love to hear about abstract yes our, our, <laughs> tell our your family. stepmother well abstract.com uh if you want to learn more about our product and you should definitely stay tuned um i think by the end of the year you should see some interesting things start to trickle out of there if you want to uh, hear more from me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's just Sarah McElwain. Um, and then, um, I, yeah, I, I am, I, I don't do Twitter. Like I just, <laughs> because you're a balanced. Oh, well, come on. Well, it's so much. Well, oh, it's just that my, I, I, you know, my, I, I waste my time in, in many other ways, like pictures of children and puppies. Uh, and so I spend all my go. time on Instagram things that are better um, for your blood pressure. Yes, exactly. but uh, yeah, you know, LinkedIn and yes, I am. I am hiring right now. So, uh, oh, good. Fantastic. Yeah. We know some designers. Yes, so please. Send them my way. Designers. Yeah. Love yeah. it. I've got two of them. I'll send you one of them's even in Seattle. Oh, yes, so. please. Yeah, we'll take it. You can find us at thebraveworkforce.com. If you'd like to send me an email, you can send me an email at Anna at thebraveworkforce.com. We love your questions. Send them in. Uh, we love answering them. And that's all from me. Trip. you want to walk us out? Why walk when you can put one foot in front of the other? Because better days are ahead. And Sarah, thank you again. Uh, thank you, for, Sarah. For, thank you. For coming on. And, uh, you know, check out Sarah. Check out Abstract. They're both wonderful. And thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun.